Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Chapter 4, the book of Breshit. <clears throat> now the man had known his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have acquired a man with Adonai. And additionally, she bore his brother Abel. Abel became a shepherd, and Cain became a tiller of the ground. After a period of time, Cain brought an offering to Adonai of the fruit of the ground. As for Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and from their choicest. Adonai turned to Abel and to his offering, <coughs> but to Cain and to his offering he did not turn. This annoyed Cain exceedingly, and his countenance fell. And Adonai said to Cain, Why are you annoyed, and why has your countenance fallen? Surely, if, say if, if you improve yourself, you will be forgiven. But if, say if, if you do not improve yourself, sin rests at the door. Its desire is towards you, yet you can conquer it. Cain spoke with his brother Abel, and it happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Adonai said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Then he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Therefore, you are cursed more than the ground, which opened wide its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall become a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to Adonai, is my iniquity too great to be born? Behold, you have banished me this day from the face of the earth. Can I be hidden from your presence? I must become a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever meets me will kill me. Adonai said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain before seven generations have passed, he will be punished. And Adonai placed a mark upon Cain so that none that meet him might kill him. Cain left the presence of Adonai and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. He became a city builder, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erid, and Erid begot Mechujel, and Mechujel begot Methusel, and Methusel begot Lamech. And Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel, and he was the first of those who dwell in tents to breed cattle. The name of his brother was Jubal. He was the first of those to handle the harp and the flute. And Zillah, too, she bore Tubalcain. And Tubalcain sharpened all cutting instruments of copper and iron. And the sister of Tubalcain was Naaman. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Give ear to my speech. Have I slain a man by wound and child by my bruise? If Cain suffered vengeance at seven generations, then Lamech at seventy-seven. 
Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, because God has provided me another child in place of Abel. For Cain had killed him. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then to call in the name of Adonai became profane. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Cain and Abel and, and diving into that as deeply as we can in the time we have uh, allotted to us here. But I wanted to mention something right off the bat when, of interest is when Cain is telling Hashem that his iniquity is too great to be, to be born, and he says, Can I be hidden from your presence? According to Rebbe Nubakia brings down an insight here that he's talking about being driven away, as it were, from Mount Moriah because Mount Moriah is where Adam and his family is living at this time. They're living outside the Garden of Eden. They're living on Mount Moriah. And it says, interestingly enough, in Rabbi Nubakia's commentary that the reason he said, can I be driven from your presence, can I be driven from this holy place, this wonderful mountain, is because that is the place, it says, quote, where God manifests. So the unique thing about Mount Moriah is that that is the place where God manifests himself. Now, if, you don't, if you're kind of thinking to yourself, and? That's exactly where Yeshua revealed himself to be the Mashiach, and that's exactly where Yeshua was crucified on Mount Moriah. And that's also where Isaac, who was the image of the Father, who was offered by the Father to be an atonement for the children was, crucif- was uh, I'm sorry, uh, offered. Although the sages did say that when he was up, went up there, it was like a man being brought to crucifixion. Isn't that intriguing? That of all this, you know, you could have said it's like a man being brought to his hanging. It's like a man being brought to the electric chair. You could have said a lot of things. But to say that this is like a man being brought to a crucifixion is interesting. That's actually codified in the Talmud that 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 Isaac's offering is likened to a crucifixion. Let me say that again, because some of y'all just caught that, because for whatever reason, you don't watch the Aliyah day. (laughs) And for that, you need to make serious teshuva. But according to the sages, it's codified in the Talmud that Isaac's offering, when he went up to the altar to lay himself down, that that was like a man being crucified. And, to take it a step further, it is that very offering that is considered the atonement for Klal Israel. There is what they call a straw man argument, which is really an argument that doesn't exist, an idea that does not exist, but it is put up as if it did exist in order to make your thought process legitimate called a straw man argument. The straw man argument is that Judaism believes or believed that we work for our salvation. That is a straw man argument in order to make the grace message legitimate. Because it has to be it has to have something to work against, you understand? And that is not at all the idea of Judaism. Never has been completely a made-up, it's completely fake, it's a phony baloney, plastic banana, good time rock and roll idea. 
Jews do not believe that by obeying the Torah we are, quote, saved. Okay? We do the Torah, as it were, we observe the Torah because we are in covenant. But the atonement comes from the image of the Father that was offered on Mount Moriah for the forgiveness of our sins. I just like to keep repeating that. Now, why do I say that, the image of the Father? Some of you, because you don't watch the Aliyah Day, and you're in repentance right now for that. You didn't hear me say that according to the sages, Isaac was an exact spitting image of his father. So that when Abraham took, you know, it's one thing to offer your son. That's one thing, right? But can you imagine offering your son who looks just like you? That's something on a whole nother level. You're offering your son, but now you're offering yourself. You're offering all of your hopes and dreams and all those kinds of things. I want to hone in on the opening phrase, the opening uh, verse, rather, of chapter 4, where it says in the Hebrew, And Adam knew Chava, Ishto, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And it says, Vaitomer Kaniti Isha et Adonai. Ish, Slika, et Adonai. And she said that I have, it says here in the translation, acquired a man with Hashem. The wording is very interesting here, and I'm going to share some insights, if I may, from Rombel about this particular site, uh, phraseology, because I think there's something here that we can find esoterically, if you will, on a sowed level to try to understand why there had to be the Mashiach come and do what he did. The root of the word where it says, Vaitomer Kiniti, the word Kiniti is, I have acquired. But the root of that is the kuf nun yud, and it means to establish, to acquire, but it also means to create. I have created a man. Now, the phrase with Hashem is interesting because in the Ivrit, it says, Kiniti ish et Adonai. Normally, in most all cases, the word et there implies something that is there but not spoken about. In other words, kind of a, a spiritual implication. Most of the time, that's the case. Almost always, that's the case. But here, this phrasing presents a problem to a lot of theological ideas about Hashem. And so, it's changed to mean it, or with, rather. It's changed to mean with. Now, let's dive into this for just a second. The wording implies that something supernatural outside the normal course of action has occurred. Let me say that again. If you look at this and study this out, you find that the wording implies that something supernatural outside the course of normal human action has occurred. The way that she says this. Understand something that the Torah is explicit in everything it does. Every word, every letter... Every space between the letter, sometimes you find letters that are little bitty. This was actually, actually in the table, the Shabbat table sparks, if you um, 
How many of you get the Shabbat table sparks and use it on, on Arab Shabbat? If you're not raising your hand, you're in the wrong. No, I'm, 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 I'm half kidding. I just want to say, I just want to encourage you all to get the Shabbat table sparks because there's a lots of great stuff in there and lots of really, really, and, and, and you have to understand something that, that um, the table sparks build upon the Aliyah day and the Aliyah day builds upon that and it builds upon the drosh and it all works together, right? So it's like you're taking half a supplement. But... I mentioned something in the table sparks about the small letters and what they mean. So here we have a phrase. Hashem could have said, he could have said, I had a child with Hashem, if that's what he wanted to say. But in the Torah, he says, Kiniti ish et Adonai. Why? Why does the Torah put this phrase in there? Because it's so problematic. Because here's what it literally means. This is what... what what um, this phrase literally means, I have acquired God. That's what it literally means. I've acquired God. It, it can also, and, and, and by the way, in Scripture, God is known as Ish Malkama, which means a man of war. Many times in, in English versions, it's translated master of war because the translators are un uncomfortable referring to God as a man. So he says he's a master of war. But that's not what the Hebrew says. It says, Ish Malchama, a man of war. So why do we have a phrase here that says, I've acquired God, or that I've, I've acquired a man, God? Either way you look at it, it's problematic. And the, most of the commentators, if not all of them, say, well, it just means that she had a a child with God. And the Midrash brings down that this is simply saying that, that you have a man and a woman and they're not, they, they can't make a child by themselves. You have to have God involved in order to provide the soul. And all of that's relevant and all that's true. And I'm not suggesting that the Bashat level, meaning the simple level is, she had a child with God's help. I'm not suggesting that's not relevant. All I'm saying, I think there's something deeper. Now, according to the Zohar... Cain was the son of an unclean spirit. The seed of the serpent. He was literally, according to the Zohar, the son of the angel of death. And as a result, from Cain came some ladies who would later be the ladies who would cohabitate with the fallen angels and give birth to some of the demons of the world. Now, some of you are like, oh my gosh, that is not what I learned <laughs> in, at, at First Presby. <laughs> but you have to understand something. When you get into ancient literature, it gets stranger than fiction around there. Now, I want to bring th break this down because I think there's a spiritual picture here. Now, now, let's just, take the, let's just take this for a second because we teach here at Sar Shalom that Messiah is divine and that he is born of a virgin. I am emphatic that if Messiah is not born of a virgin, if he's just a human being, we're, we're all wasting our time. 
Because you cannot save somebody on the Titanic if you're on the Titanic. Let me say that again. If you're on the Titanic, you can't save anybody. You have to be on another ship in order to come alongside and bring people off the Titanic. So if you are a human being, you're in the same boat I am. You're going to die because of Adam, and there's not a thing in the world you can do without it. And the sages have taught this. I've taught it, that there were four people who were perfectly sinless, and the only reason they died is because of the sin of Adam. All right? Now, people have said, that is insane. Rabbi, you are crazy to think that a human being can be impregnated somehow, some way, however you want to look at it, by a spirit. That is so not Jewish. Says the person who's on Google.com or whatever trying to look stuff up. But according to the Zohar, Eve was impregnated by the serpent who gave birth to Cain. Uh-oh, wait a minute, precedent drop. In other words, we now have a precedent in the universe where a spirit can cause the manifestation of a child in a human body. Whoa. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, the, how many of you know, don't raise your hand because you might not know, but that Hasatan Kirsby can't create anything? He can't, he can't do anything new that hasn't already been done. No, no, no. So you're not following me. Before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. The enemy can't create anything. So he can only use power that already exists in the universe. Which means that the ability for the Ruach HaKodesh to cause a woman to have a child without a man's involvement, that power already exists, which is why the servant was able to use it. See, no, because we've been brought up to believe that the devil does stuff. The devil made me do it. That's why people say that's a pagan idea. What is being born of a virgin? Where did the devil get it from? So you're assuming that he created and then God copied. Instead of saying that God did and the devil copied. Well, you, well Rabbi, that, that whole thing about uh, virgin birth, uh, uh, that's in every uh, religion uh, all over the world uh, for many, many years. Uh, why do you think it is, dummy? Because the devil wants to copy God in every false religion that exists. Well, I never thought about it like that. I know, because you don't go to Sar Shalom. So Cain's the angel, or excuse me, Cain is the son, rather, of the angel of death, which is why he brought death, the first murder. Think about it. Now, Ram Bond brings down this with Hashem. He says, he said, this, this phrase literally means I've acquired a man, God. He said, but of course, this is an impossible interpretation. That's what Ram Bond says. That's what it literally says, but it's an impossible interpretation. But that's what it says. Says this has to mean with God. It can't mean that she she created a man God. Now, you now what you're asking yourself right now 
You're saying self? Is Rabbi saying that, that Eve thinks that she's given birth to God? Well, but you just got through saying that Cain is the seed of the serpent, right? Let me throw something out. This is a rombel. All, something bad really went down. But see, you have to understand something. Adam and Eve know stuff we don't know. Adam and Eve knew things about the universe and about redemption that we don't know. How many of you would agree to that, right? Yeah. I couldn't even begin to name all the animals. I can't even name all four of my dogs. I'm trying to call them to dinner. I'm like, Hava, Toby, y'all just come. All of you come. I call my daughters by my dog's names and vice versa. It's no offense. <laughs> but listen. She knew that a redeemer was going to be born of a woman. She knew that already. And she knew that something spiritual had happened to her. Some entity had come upon her, and she, because you know a woman knows when she's pregnant, right? Right, women? Y'all kind of know it, right? right? You do the test to make sure, but you kind of know. And the guy says, are you sure? He's like, yes. Behold, he comes. So anyway, could it be that in the fog of sin, that Hava thought that she was giving birth to the divine redeemer? Not realizing that because of her sin, she had actually taken into herself the seed of the man, the first, the first human who would be born to the, to the couple that instead of bringing life would bring death. That would, instead of bringing resurrection power would bring murder. And what I'm suggesting this morning is that when it says this phraseology, this is a lesson perhaps that, that this was going to happen where the, the, a woman... And understand that Eve is the first woman of a virgin birth herself. As Amet pointed out, that Adam himself was of a virgin birth because the earth, he, you know, God calls the earth to bring forth Adam. So there's that. The first Adam was from a virgin birth. And then you have Eve who came from Adam also from a virgin birth. And so she's just like, hey, look, this, this, this kind of stuff happens all the time. This is just not, by the way, they cohabitated, according to many commentators, for the first time after the sin. Because before that, it was like there wasn't a need to. Stuff just happened. Right? In fact, all the sages agreed that they're the ones who taught all the animals to cohabitate. Because before that, the animals were like, what, what, we're supposed to do that? Okay. So anyway... So we have this idea where she knew this was supposed to happen, but she didn't realize that she got off track, and instead of giving birth to a redeemer, she gave birth to the man who would bring murder, which is why the woman later would have to give birth to the redeemer to undo what the spirit of murder had done. In other words, I want you to look at it this way. 
that the initial guy who brought murder into the world was the seed of the angel of death, which is, by the way, Satan. The same thing, same person, same entity. Therefore, doesn't it make sense that the seed of the Ruach HaKodesh would have to come and undo with the seed of the Hasatan curse be he did? So you start talking about why is there a need of a virgin birth in addition to all the other brilliant things that you've said, Rabbi? This is one of those, this is another reason. Humility. But seriously, this is, this is it. Because we have a, a seed that came as a, as a result of the poison, and so there had to be a, another supernatural seed to come and undo what that seed did. What about grace? We talk about grace. In the Midrash Shabbat 22 and verse 1, or, or Simon 1, it, talking about this, Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have acquired a man without an eye. It says, Remember your mercies, Adonai, and your kindness, for they are from old. Psalm 25, 6. In expressing himself this way, King David, the author of the psalm, meant to convey that I am not requesting mercies and kindness from now onward. Rather, they are from old. Grace has always been. This is what David is saying. He's saying, I'm requesting to you, or from you rather, grace, but not now. See, this is so critical because many people have been taught that grace began at a certain point in time. And that point in time was when the Messiah came and offered his life for us. That that was the beginning of grace. That was the dawning of grace. That was the period in time. What do they call it? Uh, 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 I'm sorry? Yeah, the age of grace or what have you. Dispensation. That's what I'm, that's what, that's what I'm looking for. And here it says that David is saying, I'm not asking you for something from today onward. I'm asking you to go back in time to the original point of grace and bring it to me now. So it says, Rabbi Yehoshua bar Nachmaya said that David stated further, proof that you, O God, have manifested these attributes from the times of old is the fact that you treated Adam, the first man, with mercy and kindness. For thus you said to him, but of the tree of knowledge of bad and good, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now you had not, had you not been benevolent toward Adam and not given him one of your days, which is a thousand years, how would we have been able to produce offspring? See, the grace that we ran into Way back in the garden was that he said to Adam, Adam, if you eat this tree, this fruit of this tree, you will die the day that you eat it. See, he should have been killed that day, which means that you and I would not exist. The evidence of God's grace from the beginning of time is the fact that you're sitting here. The fact that you exist, the fact that your mother and father existed, that your grandparents existed, that your great-grandparents existed. Why? Because God said when he showed up at the garden and realized what had happened, he said, I'm going to extend grace. And he said, I, I said you died a day, didn't I? Yes, I did. Well, what I meant was my day, which is a thousand years. So I'm going to give you a thousand years to live, Adam. 
And Adam lived 930 years because he took 70 years and gave it to King David so that King David could be sure and have the opportunity to bring forth the Mashiach so that we can be brought into the Messianic era, which is a thousand plus forever. This is the grace. This is the mercy. Ma'am Loez brings, out, brings down that when we have the incident of Cain and Abel bringing their offerings... There is significance to that time period as well, to that exact moment that this happened. It's not just the offering that matters, but it's the timing of the offering. According to Ma'am Loez, that this offering occurred on the 14th of Nisan. That Abel brought the Lamb of God because Adam said to his sons, in the future... The children of Israel will bring offerings on this day. And so you should bring an offering on this day. And I want you to follow the timeline here because Abel says, because he's righteous, Abel says, I'm going to bring the Lamb of God. And what was Cain supposed to do? Cain was supposed to bring the first fruit Omer because he was a tiller of the ground. Nothing wrong with being a farmer. There's no, no, you're not better because you're a farmer than you are by being a shepherd. The key is not that. The key is that you're supposed to bring your best. And Abel brought the best. He brought the firstling of his flock. He bought the best lamb possible, the lamb that did not have a blemish on it. And Cain just brought some of his stuff. And he was supposed to bring the Omer, which is supposed to bring about the resurrection, right? But instead, the, the one who was supposed to be... To, okay, let's look at it this way. The lamb came on the 14th of Nisan, and the one... There's two messiahs, right? The one that was supposed to bring the Omer, to bring about the first fruit of the resurrection, instead of doing that, he brought just some of it and ended up killing the guy who brought the lamb on Nisan. So Yeshua shows up and says, I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the latter rain and the former rain in the first month. I'm going to bring the lamb and I'm going to offer it. And instead of being the guy that kills the lamb, I'm going to be the one who brings the offering of the Omer that brings about the resurrection of the dead. All because I'm the seed of the Spirit of God rather than the seed of the Spirit of the enemy. That's the whole point. Now, it says here that God rejected Cain's offering, but why? The reason he rejected Cain's offering, and this is so critical because Cain is stingy. It says Cain had been stingy and brought the least valuable of his produce, so that's why it was not accepted. When it says here, when a person brings a gift to a king, obviously he must bring the very best he has. The very best he has. He, has to, he needs to bring it. The very best. Now there's another idea. I said that all this took place on the 14th of Nisan. There's another idea brought down by Rabbeinu Bakia that this occurred on Shavuot, which is e equally intriguing. It says, because the reason Rabbeinu Bakia brings this down is because the scripture says, Adonai, a gift Adonai, a minka, right? Minka offering. <clears throat> it says, this offering was presented on the 50th day after the world had been created. 
So it says on the 50th day after Passover is, is called Minchad Chadesh, a new gift offering. We are to commemorate the date on which Cain and, and Abel offered a gift to God. This offering which we offer on Shavuot is like an acknowledgement of the truth of the Torah's report of what happened to the early man. Now, all that to say, you can link the two together because what happens on Shavuot, we have an offering that's offered as the two loaves. And the two loaves are unique in that they have leaven in them. So they don't represent, in this case, they don't represent the pure offering of the Mashiach. They represent you and I. So that the message to us is, listen, we buried the proverbial hatchet at Pesach, and we need to come together in unity. All mankind, unlike Cain and Abel, we need to live in unity. We need to be building each other up, not tearing each other down. Now, Cain brought flax, and Abel bought, brought a sheep. Abel's offering was godly and holy, and Cain's offering was evil. It was evil because it wasn't the best. But in order to teach us never to, make, to mix, never to mix holiness with unrighteousness, Mayam Loez brings down that this is the source for shotnets that were never to mix linen with wool. We don't mix linen with wool to always remember that holiness can never mix with ungodliness. Now, to keep, keep going here. We know that uh, Cain was evil. It says in the Midrash Shabbat, Midrash Shabbat 22, Saman, 4, Saman 5, it says Cain brought an offering from the inferior fruit. This is analogous to an evil sharecropper who would eat the good fruits and ripe, that ripen first and honor the king with the inferior fruits that ripen last. Now, many people would say, I, that is so evil, I would never do that. And yet, we make sure and pay all of our bills, and then we give what's left over for the tithe. We try to make ourselves feel better by coming up with spiritual arguments, spiritual, you understand, of why the tithe is not for today. That's called the gospel of greed. That comes from greed, chapter 1, <laughs> verse 5. It's also the gospel of theft. Suppose you went out to eat with your friends, and, you're, and you're, your friends, you're, you buy hamburgers with all the fixings and everything, and the hamburgers are $10 a piece. Your friend says, I'm going to buy your hamburger. Your friend pays $10 for his hamburger, and he's going to pay $10 for yours. And you say, no, no, I'm, let, me, let, me pick, let me pick up at least my part. And your friend says, well, okay, that's going to be really helpful. That'll help my, my budget. And so you, th you throw $2.50 onto the table. And then you walk away and say, ah, I'm such a giver. <laughs> you just stole from your friend. That's what happens when you show up to your congregation and everybody's tithing and you're not and you're enjoying everything. but I can't afford to give. Really? 
Let me see your books. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know. That makes everybody so uncomfortable. But it's true, isn't it? It's true. How many of you can buy a $10 hamburger for $2? No, I'm serious. You walk into the store, you walk into Milk and Honey and say, I want the hamburger. Okay, that's $10. All right, here's two bucks. I need eight more dollars. No, that's all I have is two bucks. You're going to get a $2 hamburger. You're going to get a slider. <laughs> okay, right? I'm just trying to help you out here. Because we, want, we don't want to be like Cain, do we? Right? Right? What was Cain, why was Cain's offering rejected? Because he brought the least valuable. Because he brought what was left over. Because he brought what was last. Now see, everybody, I could tell because I'm intrinsically connected with everybody. That what I just shared made a lot of people uncomfortable. Because it was all holy and good. We were talking about, I don't want to be like Cain. Uh-uh, I want to be righteous, holy, good. Cain's problem was he didn't bring his very best. Uh-uh, I know. You've got to bring your best to God. That means you're tithing. No, uh-uh. uh-uh. I don't believe in that, Rabbi. Right? Because we like everything the doctor is saying until he writes a prescription. Right? He says, like somebody, you know, I'm feeling unhealthy, right? You need to cut down on your carbs or whatever. Okay, okay, but isn't there like a pill I can take? <laughs> right? Right? Like a magic pill? No, it's no the pill is called obedience. You gotta actually do stuff. That's what you gotta do, right? All right. I'm gonna move on because y'all are won't come back next week. God is good. All right. Blessed. You're blessing the city and blessing the field. Woo! Uh. Yeah. All right. Rebecine went out to get some scones. She'll be back in a second. <laughs> now listen, a couple more things here. I gotta wrap it up. How does the Yetzirah operate? It says, the evil urge has two faces. It behaves like a guest who at first is embarrassed to speak or ask for anything since he doesn't know the nature of his host. Very meek and mild, uh, very sweet. Oh, you know, want anything. I just take what, you know, whatever you want to give me. I got $2. (laughs) Says, the same is true of the evil urge. At first, it's timid and ashamed It knows that it cannot induce a person to worship idols or sin. It's not going to show up and say, you want to worship an idol with me? No. So it does, it just shows up and brings you a stocking. No, it's cute. It's got a little deer on it. It's cute. Shows up and hands you a, a, a basket with a rabbit on it. Who doesn't like rabbits? I like rabbits. Since its advice is ignored, it it, it, it therefore will begin by tempting the person to commit minor sins and gradually drawing the people into a net until the person can no longer escape. This is how the Yetzirah deals 
with us. And it leads us ultimately to murder, ultimately. This is why we say very often that sin takes you farther than you want to go and makes you pay more than you wanted to pay. It's a very high price. Now, I want to conclude this morning. There's so much more that could be said about this just chapter, obviously, but running out of time here. I just want to say that as, as bad as Cain was and the fact that he introduced murder, there's a really interesting insight in the Gutnik Kumash that says that Cain is actually the first Baal Tshuva. That he's the first one to repent. Interestingly, Mayam Loez brings down too that, that Cain is also the first one. You ready for this? The first one to ever have a service dog. It's true. It says here that he was afraid of the animals, that the animals might hurt him. So it says God gave Cain a dog that would be his constant companion since he was afraid of animals, and the, and the dog would become his pet and be with him everywhere. Cain had the first service dog. He could get into any Walmart. <laughs> but it says here that Cain was the first person to do teshuva. Thus God set him as an example for all future Baalei teshuvas, teshuvas. How did he do it? This is how Cain did it. He confessed to God. He said, my sin is too great to bear. That he did it through exile. That Rambam writes that one, who, that one of the routes of Teshuvah is for a person to send himself into exile. And Cain went into exile. He rebounded into positive action. It says, there, it says here there is a t- tremendous temptation for the Baal Teshuvah to remain low-spirited for the rest of his days. The mere thought of his past deeds, which cannot be erased from his mind, is sufficient to give him, give him a feeling of inferiority. You know, that's really true in this day and age. The sages talk about the day and age where people cannot accept um, rebuke or they can't accept admonishment. That if a leader of the community says, hey, you need to be doing a better job, they're like, well, I'm not coming back there. The sages talk about such an evil generation that will rise where you can't say, hey, man, you need to really, you know, I'm talking about from a leader. Hey, you need to be, you need to be doing better. Well, I'll just go find a different place to go. I, and that's how we're taught. We're taught to go out and find the place that is saying everything we want them to say to us. That's like shopping for a doctor who will never address our problem. I'm looking for a doctor who will tell me exactly what I already want to know and hear. And I'll go to him. I'll never get better, but I'll feel better. And so, whether it's writing about Cain, Cain wasn't that way. Cain took the rebuke, and it spurred him to do better. He took the rebuke, and he said, you know what, I'm going to mend my ways. And this is what it said in the time, by the way, just popped in my mind, the time of the book of, Je- of, of Ruth. It said that everybody judged the judges. That when the judge said, hey, you know, you need to do better, the person said, well, look at your life. <laughs> now, nobody does that today, but I'm saying that Back then, that happened. 
says, obviously, in the midst of such a mood, he will find it difficult to be active within the world, being plagued by the eternal question, how am I to carry out a holy activity like this? Consequently, the challenge of the Baal Teshuvah is that when his Teshuvah is complete, he must propel himself outward into the world. The best way to make Teshuvah is to go out and begin to do good. Not to retreat and go find some place where you're being bad is acceptable. Did you just rebuke me, Rabbi? Well, I did. I'm just trying to encourage you. Well, I will never come back here. I'm going to go someplace else where they will never correct me. You'll always lift pink weights for the rest of your life. You'll never get better. You'll never get stronger. You'll never get more healthy. But you will look great in that pink tutu that you're wearing doing it. Thus we find that after doing teshuva, Cain propelled himself back into the world. He fathered a son. He built a city. He named the city after his son. In other words, he went on trying to be the best person he could be despite his failure. We can learn a lot of lessons from this chapter, but I wanted to leave on that lesson because the moral of the story is, is that no matter what we've done or how far we've fallen or what's going on, we can always have the opportunity to do better and to improve today, you know, we can reach, do like David did. We can reach back to the beginning and grab that grace that existed from the from days of old and bring it back into the present in order to go into the future. And we can do that because we're still alive. We say, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, 